Man, yesterday, um, I was thinking about a question that I want to ask you guys, and I'm going to. If your life was a commercial, if your entire life was a commercial, if a documentary crew followed you around and they were making a commercial for something, what would your life be a commercial for? Is that a, I'm not supposed to end the sentence that way, I understand, for those of you who are teachers, but um, back to school, we're almost there, aren't we? What would your life be a commercial? What what would the commercial of your life be? I don't know what it would be, but I think it's very insightful. It reveals a lot about who we are, about what we live for. Yesterday, mine would have been Pampers. That's what it would have been. It would have been a commercial for Pampers. We went to the fair yesterday with my granddaughter, Emery Lorraine. She is here today with my daughter-in-law and my son, Nathan and his girlfriend Leah are here. I'm so excited about that. We went to the fair. Emery's tolerance for the fair is three hours, which is exactly what mine is. And Emery looked at me. She can't talk yet, but we can communicate on a real heart level. She said, Grandpa, I'm ready to go home after three hours. And I was like, me too, Emery. So we went home. The problem was we were home early enough for there to be some time left in the day. And so my daughter-in-law, Eden, looks at my wife, Joy, and says, what do you want to do? And Joy's like, I don't know. And that sounded like trouble to me. And Eden goes, let's go get our nails done. And so they're talking and they said, we can get a manicure and we can get a pedicure. And they didn't even ask me anything about it at all. I'm just sitting there, you know, just hanging out. And so Eden, she goes, you're great with Emery here. You can watch her. And she hands Emery to me, which is totally cool. But I look at Joy and I said, how long does that take? And she said, that's what she said. Now, I've done 35 minutes with Emery, no problem. And she scares me a little bit as much as I love her because she's complicated. She's a baby. She can't just tell you what she wants. And she's a female baby on top of that, which makes her even more complicated and amazing, I'm absolutely sure. And so I'm sitting there with her, and for 55 minutes, nothing went wrong. Now, you should know I don't change diapers. I've shared that with you before. Don't change them. Do it in an emergency, did with my boys after my last boy, Nathan, after he was potty trained. He's here today. So proud of him. Still potty trained. Um, I haven't changed the diaper since Nathan. And uh, and so I I told Eden that I don't change diapers. And she goes, well, you're going to have to. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to call you. And she goes, I can't come if I'm getting my nails done. And I said, well, then I'm going to call Leah, Nathan's girlfriend. I said, where is Leah? And she goes, I don't know where Leah is. And so I said, well, maybe she won't poop. And, and, and then Eden goes, she hasn't gone all day today. Oh, my goodness. So I'm sitting there with my favorite little ticking time bomb in my arms. And we're rocking and watching TV. And she starts, you know, making the grunting noises and doing her thing. And I had this talk with her. I was like, Emery, please don't. I said, Grandpa. Grandpa's old, I can't handle it. My heart, I can't do this. You just please just hold it until mama gets back. And I mean, right at just at the last minute, and I thought, oh, I was gonna do it because that's what good grandpas do. I mean, you're not gonna get diaper rash and all that. I was gonna, and then, and then Leah walked in. I have never, I even said out loud, thank you, Jesus. And Leah's like, what are you so happy to see me for? And I said, oh, I'm always happy to see you. Today's extra special. And so I handed her to Leah and Leah just picked her up and gave a big sniff and goes, no, she's fine. I mean, you women are built differently than we are. There's something amazing about you guys. Um, and so I got home, or Joy got home, uh, and, and there's a picture. Joy kept texting me going, how you guys doing? And I, I sent Joy a picture. I look like I'd had a hard day. But Emery's learning how to use a socket wrench. It was just a quarter inch wrench. We were having a great time, but I kept sending Joy pictures to let her know that both of us were alive and, and, and doing fine. And when Joy got home, I was telling her about how traumatic it was that we almost had, you know, a diaper change issue. And she said, do you know what, Rick? It's inevitable that you're going to change a diaper. Why would you put it off? Just get it over with and go change the diaper. 
And I said, it is not inevitable. She's almost potty trained age. She's eight months old. Pretty soon, she'll be a big girl using the big girl toilet. It won't be any problem. And Joy said, yeah, you wait and you see. She goes, just get it over with. Just do it. Why put off until tomorrow what you know you need to do today? Oh, my goodness, is that a question? Why do we put off until tomorrow what we know we should do today? But we do. The shoulds get in the way. The woulds get in the way. I've entitled the message today, The Shady Side of Should. Now, you see up here uh, a computer screen, and we're going to be working on a different way of, um, of having our worship service on Sunday morning where you're going to be looking at the side screens, and they'll have some video images of me and this TV here in the middle. You'll see it in a couple weeks. And so I'm trying to get used to the TV. I'll be pointing out scriptures and things on the TV, and so it's going to look a little different today. But the shady side of should, we were working on all kinds of tongue twisters. We were thinking the slippery slope of the shady side of, could, of should, and and I couldn't say all the S's and got tongue-tied and messed up. So this is as good as we could do. But I want to talk to you today about knowing better, about doing better, and about living better. You see, last week we talked about the fact that we box ourselves in with the rules, that we have preconceived ideas and expectations of who God is, that we sometimes get so caught up in the regulations and the laws and the codes of conduct that we forget who we are in Jesus. I talked to you about three, I called them trash cans. They could be buckets or barrels or anything. The first one is biblical. The second one is cultural. The third one is traditional. And many times you and I, we put things, rules, over here in the biblical bucket, when in reality, they're not biblical at all. They're just traditional or just cultural. And churches for years and years since the time of Jesus have had man-made verbal tradition handed down from one person to the other that's in addition to scripture that doesn't come straight from Bible. It may be interpreted by somebody in a well-meaning way, but we mistake it and begin to emphasize it and communicate it just like it comes from the word of God. And the problem is we lose our moral authority. And I don't say that in a church lady kind of way. When we begin to emphasize things that are cultural or traditional and not just biblical. Now, when you're a parent, you have the golden ticket because you're a parent and your kid's in your home and you can make whatever rules you want. They're your rules. It's your home. When your kid gets 18 and moves out, they can do what they want and they can make their own rules. Uh, but when we as a parent tell our kids things are biblical and that's the reason they should do it because Jesus wants you to, your child is going to get old enough to start asking questions. And if you can't back that up with scripture, they're going to begin to question all of the other stuff that you've told them. And your moral authority will be caught into question, called into question. Pastors have the same issue, deacons, church leaders. Some churches have Christian gentlemen's agreements that they've put together. And you ask them about it. And they'll say, well, everyone knows this is how Christian gentlemen live. Usually it's not what's in scripture. It's in culture or tradition. And it gets very confusing. And you say, well, who decides what Christian gentlemen do? Well, it's the oldest, longest living, most powerful, most authoritative Christian gentleman. They get to enforce the rules and pass it down to whom they choose. Now you can have any rules you want to join any club, just don't call them Christian gentlemen's agreements. Call them gentlemen or gentle person or gentle woman's agreements. You can do whatever you want. But when we blur the lines, that's where it gets complicated. And in scripture, Jesus fought against blurred lines. Stop telling people they have to live a certain way that you have made up. It's not even in scripture that I never intended in the first place. Now, when I preach messages like this, many people get uncomfortable. I preached this last week. 
because they feel like what I'm telling people is there are no rules and you can do whatever you want. You just live however you want to. Accept the grace of God and go and do as you see fit. Now, I would never say that because Jesus would never say that. In fact, Jesus would never assume that. In fact, Jesus assumed that when a person had a genuine encounter with him, when they genuinely met Jesus Christ, they genuinely turned from the life they were living and chose to live a different way. Everything was different. Never occurred to Jesus that somebody would meet him in a genuine and true way and say, you know what, I'm gonna walk away unchanged. Can't happen. Many people walked away from Jesus having not ever genuinely met him and walked away unchanged. But not if you genuinely know Jesus. So we're gonna talk today about getting past the should. I should, you should, we should, and getting down to the I want to, I will, I'm gonna. We know better, so we need to do better so that we can live better. I mentioned to you last week that Bible study doesn't fix everything. I've never had a church split, a person behaving badly, a, a group hiding off in a corner with gossip and, and judgment. I've never had people sending nasty emails trying to do you know, a bad business among a congregation and the solution being they just need more Bible study. If they just had a little more Bible study, then maybe things would be okay. I've had a whole lot of people over my 30 years in ministry who need a whole lot more doer study. But you have to hear the word and understand it to be able to do it and to be able to live it because we want to, not because we have to, not just because you should. So we're gonna be in James today and I'm gonna take you to this short book and this short passage and we're gonna have some fun. Why put off until tomorrow what you could do today? Is there one thing in your life that you've been putting off? Is there one thing that God has been convicting you over? One thing that may be holding you back in your path to freedom? Is there one thing that you have become really good at pushing way down deep in your heart and your soul so that you can ignore the voice of God knowing that it's crippling you in your relationship with him and your relationship with others? Today is the day you might find freedom for your soul. So here, let's go to James together. I'm gonna to point here because it's what I'm supposed to do in learning how to do this this new way. You can look wherever you want to today. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, I'm gonna unpack this because it's important for us to unpack it. It's important for you to understand what the word of God says so that you can understand what it is that we are supposed to do. Now, there's some important analogies or word pictures. They come from the Greek because the scripture was originally given to us by the Holy Spirit to human authors, the New Testament penned in Greek. I believe that it, when it's biblical, it's 100% true, the sole authority for what we believe and what we practice. I stake my very life on it. Scripture is true. This is scripture. This is true. Not cultural, not traditional. This is biblical. In the Greek, there's some pictures that I want to bring out for you or paint for you. And the Bible says, do not merely listen to the word. Now, I, many of you have been to school beyond high school, 
But if you chose right now to go to DMACC, to the community college, because you wanted to learn electrical engineering or you wanted to learn how to be a paramedic or you wanted to learn a little bit about world history or whatever you might want to learn, you have two choices. You can go and be a degree-seeking student. You can enroll. You can give a transcript. You can fill out the paperwork. Or you can do something that's called auditing. Have you ever heard of that? Where you can go in and you can attend a class, but you're not taking the class for credit. Now, this word here, do not merely listen has its roots found in the same word that we get for audit. And when you audit a college class, what this literally means is, is that you're getting all of the information, but doing none of the work. You don't have to do any papers, don't have to take any tests, don't have to answer any questions, you don't even have to retain anything. Nobody cares. And James is talking about people who have the temptation to audit Christianity, to audit church. For us to get in and take in all of the information, more Bible study, more Sunday school classes, more city groups, more sermons, and not do anything with it, to just push it down, to get great big heads and little tiny hearts, to know everything and become puffed up, as James says, because knowledge without heart puffs up, but knowledge with love builds up. And James says, don't just audit Christianity. Don't just audit church. Throw yourself into it. Of course we're going to do what it is that we learn because we love Jesus, not because somebody told me I have to. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Now, the word deceive is another great word. The word deceive is, uh, has a connection to mathematics. I'm terrible at mathematics and never really took many math classes, as you may know if you know me well. But this is a mathematical word or a mathematical connection. And what this literally means is to miscalculate. That I've taken all of the information that I have available, I've added them together or divided them or multiplied them, and I've come up with the wrong conclusion. And the Bible says that if we simply try to audit Christianity, that we literally are doing an equation with all of our information, and we're saying one plus one, it equals seven. Everybody knows it doesn't equal seven, but we're over here on this hill, dying on this hill going, oh, it's seven, and we don't care what anybody else says. How foolish does a person look when they are standing on the hill alone saying the answer is seven, when in reality everyone else knows that it's two? It is, the Bible says, do what it says. Now, I like the image here, and this is the last one I'll bring to you right now. It's the image of a person who teaches a lesson versus a person who is a lifetime teacher. A person who's a soldier for a lifetime would be consistent with the person who does the word and does what the Bible teaches for a lifetime. A person who's inconsistent with this would be a person who just simply teaches a lesson or fights a battle. A person who makes it a process of life, who makes it a discipline, who makes it something that they do as a habit. So we see in here in, the, in this first verse that we're not supposed to simply audit Christianity and miscalculate. We make a habit or a life, a lifestyle of doing what the Bible says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, mirrors we have today, mirrors are, are pretty good, right? actually. I mean, we don't always like mirrors because um, they reveal to us the truth, 
sometimes we look in the mirror and we're like, yeah, okay, that, that looks okay. I mean, it's presentable. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't like it at all, right? We're like, my goodness, I got work to do. But when we look in a mirror, generally we're looking in the mirror for feedback, right? We're looking in the mirror to reveal to us maybe who we really are, to reveal to us maybe what we need to change. And the image here, again, is equally as powerful because the mirrors that they had back in Jesus' day, they weren't mirrors, uh uh-oh, like this, the one I just broke from kids' ministry. Uh, These are mirrors that were made out of bronze and tin, and they had to polish them. And they would polish and polish and polish and polish and polish and finally get a clear enough section where if you held it just in the right light, under just the right conditions, you could see yourself looking back. And the word here relates to your natural self. So the Bible is simply saying that when you look into a mirror, you can see the mirror of the word of God, your natural self, the self that Jesus wants you to be, the self that Jesus sees you as, looking back at you. But if we walk away and forget what we look like, it's just like this person that audits Christianity, miscalculating, not making a habit or a lifestyle of living like Jesus. And then we fall back and we fight the battle of the shoulds. I really should do it. I know I oughta. You should do it too. You know, we all should turn over a new leaf. We should make some resolutions. We should start some new habits. We should eat better. We should go to the gym. We should start exercising. We should, but we don't. And right now, what I don't want is for you to nod your heads and go, that's right, preacher, we should. Because should is a shady slippery slope and at the bottom of the slope it does not lead to life change you can slide all the way down the slippery slope of should hanging on to your one thing that you haven't given to the Lord and land at the bottom thinking you've won a prize but realizing we've miscalculated Jesus never occurred to him that it's possible for someone to meet him and to walk away unchanged. I was thinking about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Remember that? If you grew up in church like me, that was a song we sang. And we love to sing that song because we as little Pharisees would say that when Jesus came walking by and saw little tiny Zacchaeus up in a tree trying to see Jesus, Jesus walked over and said, Zacchaeus, you come down and yelled at him. And I always loved to yell those lyrics. But we know that wasn't true. We know that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus and Jesus, when he met him, did not give him a list of rules. He didn't meet Zacchaeus with an agreement or a covenant he had to sign. He didn't tell Zacchaeus, you know, you're a tax collector. You've really done some bad things. You've made some people really mad. Go fix your life. Straighten up your conduct. You shouldn't really be around respectable church people. Come back to me after you get your act together and then we'll talk about you and I having this relationship. He didn't say that to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, come on down. And Zacchaeus, just like I told you about last week with Matthew, he goes, well, what are we going to do now? And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. And so he did, and he spent the evening with Jesus. And do you know what happened? Zacchaeus walked away the same as he was, and he took advantage of people and robbed people and beat them up for their money. No! He changed Why? Because he met Jesus and people who meet Jesus live a different way, period. 
If we don't live a different way, it's a fair question. Have we met Jesus? How do I know Zacchaeus is different? Zacchaeus, after meeting Jesus, stood up and he said to the Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times. Now the context here is applicable to Zacchaeus. The application Zacchaeus made is applicable to us. He lived differently. His life was fundamentally different. The thing he cared about the most he had given to the Lord. The one thing, in this case, his fortune, now belonged to God because he was changed. I was thinking about the woman caught. Well, she was the woman who was at the well. That's the way that our captions in our Bible describe her in John chapter 4. She had a name. We don't know her name. We do know that she was a naughty woman from a naughty place and a place where good Jews, good Christians of the day weren't supposed to even be. She was a homewrecker. She was a person who, if you were a woman, you wouldn't want your husband hanging out with her, somebody who you'd be a little suspicious of, somebody who'd be on everybody's prayer list that you'd talk about but would never really talk to, a woman who'd been through more men than you could count, couldn't even go to the well with the other respectable women of the town because nobody wanted to be around her. And the Bible says that Jesus had to go into Samaria. Now, he didn't have to go logistically. Jews walked around Samaria all the time. The Bible says Jesus had to go because there was something in him. He was being led by God the Father to go into Samaria, a bad town, to go meet a woman who nobody in their right mind, no respectable good Christian person would meet. Even Jesus' disciples took Jesus aside and they're like, we know you're a little naive, Jesus. You don't get out much, I get it, being the son of God and all, not disrespectful, trying to protect him. This is the kind of woman you don't want to be around. You might not have met these women before, but we've seen them back in our former life. She's naughty, don't talk to her. Jesus did the opposite. And when he met this woman, he didn't say, you're a naughty woman who's wrecked homes, who's destroyed marriages, who's had more affairs than you can count and more husbands than we even know. He didn't say, fix your life and come back once you're respectable and cleaned up and be part of our church. He didn't give her one rule. And do you know what happened? She met Jesus. And because she received that grace and responded with that love, everything in her life changed. Because people who meet Jesus have changed lives. And that's the way it works. In John chapter 4, the Bible talks about this woman leaving what she was doing behind, going into a town that she would have been hated, feared, and alienated from, and inviting everyone she could find to come and meet Jesus. She lived a different way. Because that's what people who've met Jesus do. We don't take the grace and say, I can do whatever I want. I can live for me. That's a person who's never met Jesus. Let me show you. There were 10 lepers. Karma got them, according to the Old Testament oral tradition. They got what they had coming, a death sentence of leprosy. 10 of them met Jesus. Jesus healed them. How many did he heal? All of them. Nine of them didn't really meet Jesus, and they left. One of them stopped and said, you know what? I mean, I'm healed, but it's this guy who did it, the Messiah, and ran back to Jesus 
and worshiped him, he met Jesus and his life was changed. Doing the word, it starts with baby steps. Let me see if I can show you one. I would love to have my beautiful and talented assistant, Emery Lorraine, up here on stage with me. She's learned some new stuff. And as a proud grandpa, I told you I wasn't going to be that grandpa. I am that grandpa. So I want to show you what Emery can do. And um, Nathan, you're going to hand me Emery here. Hi, Emery. You're going to say hi to everybody again? Yeah. All right. You can see everybody up here. Emery's just learned to do something. When you're a baby, you're supposed to do stuff, right? And everything is new. Everything's a first. Everything can be a little scary. Sometimes things can be frustrating, huh? We had a hard time with Grandpa trying to feed you breakfast this morning because it was a little frustrating. I didn't get the spoon where it was supposed to go. And Emery learned something on Thursday that was amazing. She learned how to crawl. Now, we're going to see if we can get Emery to crawl for you. All right, ready? Okay, here. Hey, come here. Hey, come here. Come on. Can you come to Grandpa? You can do it. You see this? I'm telling you. Come on. Just make a little move. Come on. Come to Grandpa. You can do it. Come on. Oh, oh, you can do it. Oh, Emery. Come on. One step. Well, that's okay. We can do it next time. She can crawl. I have video to prove it. But she's not good at it yet. She's not. She crawls with one leg stuck straight out. Her left arm looks like she's swimming. She's not good at it. But which one of us in our right mind would look at her and go, you're really bad at this stuff, Emery. You need to stop trying, right? Why don't you just go back to just sitting there? Why don't you stop trying to crawl? Nobody in their right mind would tell my sweet granddaughter to stop that. But sometimes you and I, we feel that it's so hard to start something. It's so hard to turn over a new leaf. So hard to give God that one thing. Friends, nobody in your right in their right mind, nobody is going to look at you as you, with God's help and strength, try to change your life and tell you you're terrible at it, you don't belong here, you shouldn't even try. I, we, are going to cheer you on, to take you by the hand, to support you, encourage you, and love you as we change together. Because freedom comes at the end. And that's what Jesus had in mind. James tells us as he closes this section, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now this looks intently is another important picture. It's the same word that was used as Peter investigated the empty tomb looking for Jesus. You don't just look in and go, oh, not here, right? Jesus had risen. You look and you look back and you rub your eyes and you look again and then you check under and behind and in the shadows because it's almost too good to be true. You take a careful, cautious look. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, rules don't give you freedom. Enforcement doesn't give you freedom. It gives you religious control. Who looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, 
but actually doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. I've had a lot of conversations these last few weeks with friends who are in recovery. Even had a conversation this morning about recovery. And I have a lot of respect, a tremendous amount of respect for people who are in recovery because they've acknowledged a couple of things. One, that at some point their life has hit rock bottom. And two, without help, they're powerless to change. Because of that, they realize that there's some things that are important. Appealing to a power higher than yourself and relying on the people around you to help give you the strength to become a different person. And I have such respect for a person who's that committed to changing their life that I wonder why we don't approach it the same way, those of us who aren't in that type of recovery program. Because you and I, friends, are recovering from something. Sin and selfishness. And we are powerless to do it ourselves alone. We need each other to cheer each other on as we start things that are uncomfortable and new but beautiful and make us proud. And together, we can begin to see this life of freedom, this life that we can call blessed, intrinsically, spiritually blessed in the ways that count. I want you to do a couple things as we close. I've asked Pastor Dan if he'll come up and pray with me for you guys. The first thing is that there may be a thing, a thought, an action or an attitude in your life that you know has trapped you. You may have been at the point where you have said a lot of times, I really should take care of this. And you're stuck on the shady side of this terribly dark word, should. So I want to ask you, is today the day you will let it go? You talk to the Lord, you talk to God, you say, I don't know how to talk to God. You do, because he installed in you a thinker. And when you think thoughts toward God, he hears those thoughts. And that's where it starts. I can't. I've tried. I need help. And God says, music to my ears. I am the higher power. I got you. The second thing I want you to do is I want you, if you want to, is to tell Pastor Dan or myself, one of our pastors, just to share it so that we can cheer you on as you break free from the things that may have held you back for who knows how long. The third thing I want you to do is I want you to realize that we can't do it alone. And we have city groups that are starting up in two weeks on Wednesday night. And these city groups are something that we as a church believe will put you in a small community or group of people who will take you by the hand, who will live life with you, who will embrace you just as you are, as you embrace them. And together we change. We find this freedom and experience this blessing. We learn how to do what it is we say we believe.
Pastor Dan's gonna pray for you and I'm gonna close. But Kathy will be at a table in the lobby helping people answer questions about our city groups. It's just eight weeks long. Signing you up if you'd like to sign up, putting you, at least getting enough information for us to put you in the perfect group. So that this next fall, these next eight weeks can be the very best eight weeks of your entire life. Dan, would you open us in prayer and I'll close as we ask God for our friends. Absolutely. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, as we hear so many times as leaders that um, we hear the response, I don't know enough. And today's message is just a reminder that it's not about our head knowledge, Lord. It's about the step, the action that we take. So I pray for, as if Pastor Rick and I prayed for ourselves, first and foremost, we pray for our Capital City Church friends, for these things that we know we just need to take that one Step. Our, our, our churchy word is obedience. It's taking action. Some Lord need to take that first step of uh, surrendering their life to you, of letting you take total control of their life, recognizing what you did in the cross and surrendering that and letting you be the captain of their life and ship. And Lord, some of us just need to, Lord, that one thing that we need to stop doing or start doing, and not just in our power, but with confession. Lord, Romans 10, 13 comes to mind. That's whoever calls in the name of the Lord. And it's not a yodel. It's not just a, hey, it's a surrender, a cry. And Father, I'm so glad that the words don't matter, but the intent of our heart does. And so that's my prayer for us today. It's not the 30 things that we need to do, but just the one thing. And as James reminded us, as we look intently, Lord, it's, it's the focus. It's the focus personally, in prayer, in your word, with others. Lord, don't let us get distracted. Today, don't let it be just a good day to be a hearer of the word. Lord, let us be doers. And in so doing, we see transformation. This is what you want and for us as much as any parent wants for their child. For that, we'll give you thanks and praise. Father, I pray for my friends as they're considering, I trust looking deeply into their own lives. And these one things that we're talking about could be so different for each of us. They're themes that you mention over and over again in your word. I think about being loving, genuinely wanting the best for others, not being judgmental, being optimistic and positive. Think about giving, not withholding from you. Lining our treasure and our heart up to show our love for you. We think about forgiving, Father. Maybe many have just withheld forgiveness from someone or in something and it's just holding them back. It's the one thing that keeps them from going forward into this freedom and this blessed life. The way that you define blessing, Father, not our world. Maybe it's in serving, giving our lives away to connect with you in a way we never have. I pray that today would be the day we say, I will. Not because we should, but because we want to. Because we love you. Because you've changed us. And it's what changed people do. So as we leave this place, I pray that we would sing this last song to you as a response, as a thank you, as a commitment, and that today would be a different day for us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.